Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. Join with me today. Designated hitter for tonight, my guy, Andrew Kalanya. What's up, brother? How's it going? Ready to talk about the topics that are not only on the minds of the sports world, but the nation itself. I'm very excited about the, the new Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection on uh, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, and PS, and PlayStation. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s and uh, were a big fan of the uh, the side-scroller beat-em-up type of games, uh, I played a little bit today, and it's fantastic. It's uh, all, all the nostalgia. Um, great time to revisit a bunch of old classic games. Uh, I'm not sure how big you were into Ninja Turtles as a kid, but, man, the, those NES and Super Nintendo games are better better than ever. So I'm really happy and really excited. I'm sure everybody's out there playing it right now. Yeah, they hit you right in the feels of the games like that, you know? Now let me mm-hmm. ask you, I think I, I feel like I saw online some uh, trailers of the gameplay and whatnot, but mm-hmm. how much did they improve the graphics and how much did you want them to improve the graphics? Because I feel like the simplistic look is probably part of the nostalgia. Well, yeah, they give you a bunch of customizable options. So if you want it on like that retro... You can have like different filters. So if you want it to look like you're on like an old CRT, you can put like a filter like that where you have like the scan lines and stuff like that. Wow. Um, Using a game- at the screen. That's amazing. If you want to know how privileged we are as a society, you can choose to make your TV crappy. <laughs> exactly. Just have that old school and that old school feel of, of, uh, of terrible television. Um, oh, that's great. So you can you can expand you can make it like widescreen so it's like zoomed in but um, it's got like cool borders and you can look at like the old box arts of like all the games and they have like strategy guides and manuals like it's it's like for forty dollars like it's absolute buy absolute absolute buy, buy. love that a- absolute buy. that reminds me of uh, Leonard in Community with the with the frozen pizzas <laughs> it's a buy <laughs> this is definitely a buy um, I actually have a Leonard likes this movie. post. <laughs> I have a fun fact for you as well. This is something that uh, you would consider starting off the podcast with, but I'll do it on this episode mm-hmm. here. So Dan Clark Sports on Twitter, Dan Clark mm-hmm. tweeted this out. An amazing nugget for all sports fans. August 29th, 2001, Serena Williams wins at the U.S. Open. Mm. Albert Pujols hits a home run. Vlad Guerrero Sr. hits a home run. Oh, I'm sorry. Vlad Guerrero Sr., Craig Biggio, and Dante Bichette all record a hit. On August 29th, 2022, Serena Williams wins at the U.S. Open. Mm. Albert Pujols hits a home run. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Bo Bichette all record a hit. How about that, Andrew? If that's not sports in a nutshell, the beauty of it, uh, of the history, then what is? I don't know. You see, you see this? I got, I got goosebumps right here, right oh, here, just, yeah. from that, just from that fact, my friend. That's, that's beautiful. Uh, Isn't that just uh, like something that that's a heartwarming tweet to read on a Tuesday and just it just makes you go, wow. First of all, we're all getting Albert old. Pools is yeah, Al, and Albert Pools is very old. <laughs> and never mind, never 
on fire right now. He's killing it. He's one of the best 10 hitters in baseball for the last mm-hmm. month. Like what? It's insane. It's a, it's a really hard flex on Vlad Sr., Craig Biggio, and Dante Bichette. That pool holes is just like, yeah, bro, I'm still out here. You can next <laughs> That's it's just insane. It's a, it's amazing. Yeah, and Pulse is old, but you you know there's like that the rumor going around where he like fudged his birth certificate. So like you can understand why he's been bad so year bad for so many years now because I think like actually he's like 46 mm. and he and he's which makes it more impressive what he's doing right now. But like you can understand that like his aging curve like dropped off because he signed everyone, you know, he thought he signed when he was like 32 of the angels and realistically he signed when he was like 37. Wow. So, uh, so, so Holes is almost 50 is what we're, <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. Yeah. That's, that's the, oh that's God. the strong, the strongly uh, sourced rumor that he's, he fudged his birth certificate when he came to the U S to seem younger and to sign with a baseball team. So, um, yeah, 47-year-old Albert Pujols getting the job done right now. How about that? And good for him. I think it worked out okay uh, in his yeah, career. I, yeah, I think you so, know? too. Oh, good, good you, think, you think he's going to get 700? You think he's going to get there? I have a feeling. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to get there. He needs, what, six more right now in about a month yeah. and a half? Not even. Mm-hmm. If he gets to, like, 698, does he have to come back until he just hit, hit 700? Or does he just call no. I think he, I think he's gonna call it no matter what. But I think I feel like with with him, especially because his career has been like such an up and down thing. If he's going out on such a high note, like you don't want to come back next year and then try right. to be terrible. Try to chance it, yeah. Do it and do like twenty fourteen Derek Jeter and just be like a a nuisance to the to the team, especially when you got your 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 goodbye tour anyway. You know. And how about like Alex Rodriguez at six hundred ninety six home runs and the Yankees just yeah. not playing him. Yeah, they're well, just like nope, no no at bats for you, Alex. That, yeah. They weren't they weren't even good that year. That was the annoying part to me. I remember being so annoyed that year. That was the one mm-hmm. of the only years the Yankees weren't even close to being a contender, and yeah. he just wasn't getting at bats. I'm like, well, why is he on the team? And then finally, they just got rid of him. I was like, all right, well, if you're gonna cut ties, at least they cut ties because that yeah, was and, that's, and and they called up Judge and um, Austin something. Romine? And they hit Austin. Uh, no, Austin, not Austin Kearns. Uh, so he got into a fight with like a Red Sox pitcher too, like shortly thereafter. But they hit back to back home runs in their uh, in their in their Yankee debut. Mm. And then Judge was pretty up. terrible the rest of that year, if you remember. Yeah, well. yeah, he was. He was. Which he pulled a hilarious. Yeah. You know, and, and, he, and, now, and now here we are. Alex Rodriguez stuck on six ninety six, stuck doing very mediocre to bad broadcasts on ESPN, and Albert Pujols still hitting home runs. Shout out to Albert Pujols. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's here. The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin, and you have to get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. It's literally can't miss. You can't go wrong. You don't have to get the bet correct. Just put five on any football game and you get the $200 in free bets no matter what. Want more action for opening night? Everyone, not just new customers, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. You might know what that not know what that is. Let me tell you. Get up seven. Get your team up by seven and you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point of the game, you get paid instantly. 
So if you're betting on the Vikings in week one and the Vikings go up 14-0, you don't have to sweat out Kirk Cousins not covering the spread. You already won, even if they end up losing. Plus, DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable source for all your betting. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's get back on track here. We're here to talk baseball. No Alec Argento tonight or today, whenever you listen to this, to talk baseball with us. That's okay. We got Al- uh, Alec, we got Andrew and myself. Talk some Yankees, talk some Mets. I have uh, a statement to declare after we talk baseball in regards to football. It's a statement that I'm I'm putting my flag in the ground on a take, on a stance, and you guys will have to hang tight to hear what that is because I, I finally decided today that my flag is going in the ground, and I'll let you know about it later. Uh, maybe it's, sprinkle in a couple fantasy questions later. Yeah, Andrew? It's a Tyler Austin. That was the, uh, that was the player Austin. the judgment. Titan. Hmm. I knew it was, I knew there was an Austin in there. You got it. But, uh, but anyway. Ancient history for Tyler Austin. He hasn't been on the team for three years. Um, all right. So yeah. let's now talk about this current roster. Talk about call-ups. Uh, throwing back to Aaron Judge a couple of years back, more like six years back at this point now. But talk about call-ups. We talk about the health of a roster. There's a lot of things going on in Yankee world right now, Andrew, and most of which are not good. Because you think about this series over the weekend, and, you know, you lose one to the A's and you say, okay, you're not going to win every game. You're not going to sweep even the worst op- opponents uh, all the time. You know, but we're going to obviously clean up three out of four on this one. No, still didn't happen. They lose and they split, which feel, it, that feels like getting swept by the A's, right? Like if you get, if you split with the A's and you're the Yankees right now, that feels like getting swept basically. And it's really tough yes. to go through that. So especially when uh, you win the first two games of that series, you know, like you win the first two and you're like, OK, we'll, we'll at least go three out of four. And then you like just look completely disinterested the next two games. And then the first game versus the versus the Angels too, like the, this like the offense just looks like it doesn't want to be there. And it's like the lethargicness of of guys just having terrible bats. Glaber Torres, he was on fire the first half and then the second half. He's he's been absolutely awful, um, just just absolutely just like the, one of the worst one of the worst hitters in all in all of baseball. Um, the second half, so it's just um, it's really unfortunate for for the team uh, as a whole. So um, yeah, got it. and and it's you know Aaron Judge can only do so much, and you know he's doing his he's doing his thing. You know he's he had his fiftieth home run last night, but. You know, as he said in the in the post game interview, you know they asked him, well, "What is it like to hit 50 home runs?" He's like, "It doesn't matter because we didn't win the game." Yeah, and you know, it's nice and all. I think that's a nice thing to distract Yankee fans is this, you know, this chase for six to you know to break the American League home run record, and some might say the legitimate home run record um, in all of baseball. Some might say I wouldn't say. I don't think you would say either, but I wouldn't. Um, you know, maybe some of the old heads would would call him the legitimate home run champion, but um, you know that that's secondary right now to everything else going on with the with the offense. Again, there's there's even with Stanton coming back, um, you know, DJ LeMahieu's been hurt. He had some kind of foot foot and toe issue, which he hasn't really recovered from. Rizzo having back issues. Um, the starting rotation, 
uh, more injuries. Cortez goes down the IL. You know, they have an entire bullpen's worth of injuries. You know, there's kind of a very, uh, you know, different dynamic than it was at the beginning of the season when you had five starters, you know, throwing all those innings. And now, you know, the only guy left standing, I think it, it's Tyon and Cole from the from the beginning of the year and everybody else's um, had to step in. So and, you know, they dealt a lot of their upper minor league depth at the deadline. You know, they dealt Sears and Waldachuk and Wazenski, um, you know, so they're, they're right at the top of it, but just in their pitching depth overall. Like when Chapman went down because uh, apparently we turned into the Mets and he's got to go on the aisle because he got an infection from a tattoo, <laughs> you know, yep. it's such a, that's All such that a Mets a thing. Over the weekend. It was great. It was that's great such to a, be on the other side of it. That's such a mess thing to happen uh, to them. They, the Yankees didn't have anyone to call up. That's how much, that's how much depth they, they used. Like their 40, 40 man roster was full and they said, okay, we're going to play the game. A, a roster uh, move down. We will play with 25 players instead of a 26 man roster because we literally have nobody to call up. And so <laughs> it's, it's a really uh, dire kind of situation, not only for the offense, but for the pitching as well. Yeah, so it leads me to a lot of questions, which we're going to get into all of them. And we'll do a little blame game in a minute here because I was working the radio station overnight going into Sunday or I guess Saturday night into Sunday morning was at the fan and people are calling in for Aaron Boone's head. Like, obviously, right? They're calling in for Cashman's head. They're calling in about this player being terrible. And it, you expect the negativity after a loss like that. The bunt decision from Benintendi, who has been the second best hitter on the team for the past, you know, month basically or two weeks at, at minimum. It's all really frustrating. So we're going to talk about that, play a little blame game. But quickly, I asked you a couple weeks back, Andrew, about like a benchmark for OPS. I know you gave me the OPS plus to look at, which helps you kind of differentiate uh, versus league average, et cetera. But just looking at this over the last 15 games, the Yankees, how many people or how many players do you think, Andrew? Are have an OPS of 800 or above over the last eight games? Over the last 15 games or 15 over the last 15, 15 games? Oh, God. That's two weeks, basically. Two. Correct. Aaron Judge, <laughs> 924, obviously really good. Uh, and Andrew Benatendi, 805. There That's we it. Go. Okay. Now, I wait. Don't look. Don't look it up either. Gets better. No, not. How many people? Including those, so you have two already. How many people, including those, are 700 and above? 700 so, and above. Two plus, uh, two, plus two plus what? Two plus another two. Correct again. Anthony, uh, Josh Donaldson, 742. Anthony Rizzo, 720. After that, everybody's below 700. You got two more guys in the 600s, two guys in the 500s, and then you're all below that. And that's right. that's all people who are playing. They don't have three games and gone uh, uh, two for for fifteen, right? Like it wasn't one of those. Oh, they had an average series and and whatever. No, all those people, one through nine people, have played at double digit number of games, and two people have above eight hundred. Two people have above seven hundred. That's terrible. It's really bad. So it's not even like the offense is. Um, you know, totally sporadic with the lineup, which it has been a little bit sporadic, obviously. You know, not everybody's in there every day. Stanton's not in there, obviously, for all 10 or 12 of those games in the last two weeks. But that's really bad, Andrew. Yeah. Hitting is abysmal. And the pitching, 
you could actually feel bad for and make an excuse because of the injuries. The hitting, however, is just a disaster right now. And like you said, it's lethargic and there's no urgency and it's really tough to watch. Yeah. And you would think that like, I don't know, to kind of bring it back to the, like the Aaron Boone thing and people come up when they were going through that, like tough tailspin, like there was a part of me when, uh, I think when they had, I forget which loss it was. I, there was a part of me, like when I went to bed, I was expecting to wake up with the news that Aaron Boone was, was going to be fired because like, no, that's weren't. how I swear, I swear to God, there was a part of me that, that, that was like, maybe it was hoping that that would yeah, be the that's... spark to light the fire that to, to get everything going here because I, at, at like a certain point, I think the most troubling part about it is, is that, the Yankees haven't like they'll have these players um, and they want to talk about hyping up prospects and all these things. So they brought up like all these young players and everyone except for Aaron judge has gone backwards or is not with the team anymore. You know, or you talk about, you know, uh, Miguel Andujar, who was a runner up to rookie of the year um, to a Choi Otani. And now he's a, not even get it. He's stuck in triple a you have Glaber Torres who has, has, as we talked about, he's gone backwards as a hitter and he just like, he doesn't, I don't know what, like what Boone or what the hitting coaches or what anybody like they fired all the hitting coaches last year. So like, and, and nothing seems to improved on the offensive side. Um, so my, it's like, what else do you do? Everyone, everyone has gone backwards in, in Boone and Boone is, uh, has been touted as this communicator of, of players of, you know, but the results have not been there on the field. They just haven't been for, for a bunch of young players and guys that have gone backwards. And, you know, there have been some bright spots on, on the offense. I will say Trevino uh, being one of the more interesting uh, and, you know, being an all-star coming out of nowhere. That's a really, fun story kind of grabbing the catcher position in a post Gary Sanchez world, um, you know, being a top, top 10 catcher in the league, which is uh, really surprising, but, and, you know, everywhere else, you know, you expected, you know, Josh Donaldson, to, you know, he looks like he's cooked. He looks like he's done at 36, no bat speed. You know, he's still very good defensively, which is his only saving grace right now is he can still pick it at third base. But like when you acquired him, you thought he was going to be, um, you know, a middle of the order bat that you could depend on, but now he's a below replacement level player. I bet he was one of the guys uh, that was had an under 600 OPS. No, uh, he didn't actually. He has the third highest, which is basically a uh, you know showing how bad it is right now. He's got a 742, which is probably like right below average, honestly. But that's just again, that's his last 11 games. He's nine for 37, two doubles and a home run. You know, I think I think his I think his OPS for like the year is like uh, his OPS for the year uh, is is just around is just, just around yeah just under seven hundred. So it's not even like he's doing he's performing that well um, overall. So it's just yeah. Well, yeah. I, so here's here's something I want to talk about because again we're gonna play the blame game here. We're gonna break up a percentage of who catches the blame for what and at one point, but obviously so much of this conversation directs itself right at Aaron Boone, because it's been a talking point amongst Yankee fans since he's been hired, right? Since this guy has been hired, this has been widely discussed 
as what does this guy bring to the table? He's just Cashman's puppet. He's just X. He's just Y. He's not Z, right? And we've been hearing it for four or five years now. There were times in the past where I was very happy to sit on this microphone and defend Aaron Boone because he had years with injuries and with uh, average-looking lineups, and they're winning 90-plus games, and they're winning uh, a playoff series here. They're making some noise, and they're living above or at least at expectation, right? And it's really hard to get frustrated at somebody as a non-fan, as a non-Yankees rooter. It's hard for me to nitpick the minute little thing about Aaron Boone when I look at a team that's winning 90-plus games. Now, in a year like this, with the start that they got and all that's happening, I can easily go two ways. If this was a podcast between me and me and I was arguing myself, I could have an argument with myself because I could make it up based off the injuries, based off how that bullpen looks right now, based off um, the offensive lineup that he has to work with uh, day in, day out, right? So there's excuses that are there for Aaron Boone. However, the frustration is so far gone that it doesn't even matter. There's no sense of rationality for Yankees fans, and I don't blame them. I don't blame you guys. So, Andrew, with this, with this complete frustration surrounding Aaron Boone, is there any part of you left that wants to hear an excuse, that wants to say, this is why it's happening, he's actually not that bad, or are you in that camp, like so many others, that says, I don't care, I don't want to hear it, it's like Daniel Jones, I don't care, don't want to hear it, he's not that guy. Where are you at now on this camp? Is it completely say, done? Yeah, it's just again until until I can be proven otherwise. Because again, you, I was one again. I was much like you. I was a start defender of Boone, and even um, when he was first hired, I thought, okay, uh, giving a, a a guy who had zero experience as a manager or any kind of coaching level and coming straight from the broadcast booth, um, you know. I thought that was a it was a little a little off, but I was willing to give him a chance, and I've given him plenty of chances over the years. Um, but then to continue to just watch him get you know outmanaged in crucial playoff games and leaving guys in, and you know he plays kind of favorites with with certain guys, um, and he leaves them in too long. I remember uh, when CC was you know at the end of his rope. There there were plenty of times you know because they were buddies that he would let him go out and, you know, stay an inning or two too long, even when, you know, CC was at like the end of his career. But even now it's just like the, some of the bullpen moves that he makes, um, you know, the one thing I will say in his favor is that, you know, he, he's given, he's kind of pulled the plug out of the Aaron Hicks situation. Cause again, he looks so, so lost. Um, you lost know, they continue right to, yeah. You know, he talked going into the year about being like a 30, 30 guy. I don't even know. He's going to go 10, you know, 10, 10, 10, 10. Yeah. Oh my so, God. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question or at least bring up a, a point. Cause mm-hmm. something that I was thinking about that I didn't get a chance to talk with uh, my boy, Mike Fliegelman on the fan the other night. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to get this takeoff. I, I started to, I didn't quite get there. So I started saying with managers, it's so often talked about that the best players don't often make the best managers. It's something that makes sense to a lot of people, right? Because mm-hmm. the best players see the game at a different speed. They see, you know, they're playing chess. I mean, sorry. Yeah, they're playing chess. Other people playing checkers. You get the point, right? Jason, I use Jason Kidd as an example. When he first got uh, his first head coaching job, 
He was overmatched. He was probably seeing the game so much faster than his players. He was frustrated, not communicating to his players what he had to, right? Had two mm-hmm. stints that went pretty poorly for himself. And then now in Dallas, it's like a different guy. So he actually made an adjustment. We haven't seen adjustments from Aaron Boone, but Aaron Boone doesn't fit the mold of one of those players who was a star, who was mm-hmm. this stud that was two steps ahead of everybody and just killing people on talent and, and no, no, uh, no, what was it? Wherewithal. There we go. Wherewithal. Mm-hmm. Like he was a role player. He was a guy who should be the type of person who becomes a great manager because he should see all the little things that he had to do to get on the field to stay in the league, to do this, to do that. However, and I don't want to speak out of pocket here, so please correct me if I'm wrong here. Aaron Boone wasn't that type of role player. He was the type of guy who came in off the bench or got a couple weeks of starts or a couple months of starts and was trying to hit dingers all the time. Like he said it himself. He said it himself about himself as a hitter, that he went up there swinging for the fences, and it worked out in that one at-bat for the Yankees in the playoffs (laughs) walk off against Boston, right? Yeah. So maybe maybe the writing on the wall was there all along that Boone wasn't the type of role player, you know, fringe starter that used knowledge and uh, a base of of baseball fundamentals to become a great player. He had great talent for a guy to get to the league, not a great mm-hmm. talent to be a dude in the league to just be another guy. And good, he has good family, it, of yeah. course, good great family. His brother obviously was his dad. Uh, much better hitter than him, and, yep. and his dad was a good player too. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Is Aaron Boone, or has Aaron Boone, been overmatched from this from the start with no rhyme or reason of him actually getting better? Because in reality, how hard? And again, I hate I hate doing this because mm. you're like attacking a person, but like, how hard did Aaron Boone have to learn the game, be the game, be that role player guy to make it where he did in the league? He didn't have to. He had a different path of getting to the league because of his family, because of the talent he had. He was a talented dude. So I feel like he is acting as if he's one of those guys who has all this clout and all this uh, rope to, to pull on because of who he is, because he's well-spoken on TV or he was well-spoken on TV. But in reality, he does nothing special to get this team prepared. That Benintendi bump is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. If you If that was called by Boone, Horrendous. Horrendous, right? If he if Boone called that bunt, that's a terrible play because Benintendi has been the best hitter or second best hitter on this team over the past month, basically, right? Or past past two weeks. Yep. So that's bad. And if the bunt worked out, Judge comes up with an open base and he's getting walked and Donald that. So it makes no sense. Now, if Benintendi decided to try to sneak one on his own and get a bunt in, still bad on Boone. Still Mm -hmm. bad on Aaron Boone because the best coaches are coaching all the time and constantly giving your players all the information they need to make the best decisions. So even if Ben and Tenney went rogue, that still falls on Aaron Boone. Mm -hmm. So that all being said, it's officially time. And the Yankees fans are saying, no shit, it's been officially time forever. Mm -hmm. But it's officially time where this Band-Aid needs to be ripped off right after the season unless you win a World Series. And right now there's no reason to believe that's a possibility. Yeah, it, and that and that's the and that's the whole thing is is that like you you can't I, if if you were gonna fire him you had to fire him like last last month and they and they were that's too early into right the no yeah there's you know they were too early into the slide 
um, where that'd be a point. But if this team collapses and there's a, you know, a first round playoff exit, um, then I think that absolutely has to be on the table because it's, you know, at what, at what point can you say enough's enough with, with this manager and where's enough, enough, enough is enough where this, this core of guys who, the, all this promise of 2017 has yet to be even close to fulfilled. 2017 is the closest they've gotten, and that's it. They've gotten the you know game seven of the ALCS, and they haven't got any. They haven't even gotten to that since then. So, and you know, Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent. He's also 30, and Garrett Cole only has a couple of you know prime years left. Jaron Carlos Stanton only has a couple of prime years left. DJ Lemayhu. Might, might not even be in his prime any longer. So, like, right. how how much longer can you allow this manager and this group to to continue? Um, you know, and I still say that there is time for the Yankees to turn it around. Um, you know, it doesn't look like it, you know, at their worst. You know, it looks like sometimes that they'll never be able to score a run ever again. Like, there, there, was, a, there was that point where what was the before before the Mets series where where they went like 19 innings with with um, scoring like two hits or something like that? And I was like, they'll never they'll never score again. Like you just you know, and then Baron Boone slapped slammed his hand on the table, and you know you thought that you know might fire guys up, but again they've they kind of rolled back over now against the Angels and the A's, and we'll see what happens tonight. And like uh, I don't know, Frankie Montas really pissed me. <laughs> pissed me off when I said in the group chat I was just like I'm officially okay with saying that Frankie Montas sucks and uh get you know hugging prospects and not going after Castillo which you know it's still tough to say that like who knows what they were asking for but um letting him go and seeing the success he's had in Seattle and how Montas now has like a over 70 RA as a Yankee it's, uh, you know, this is supposed to be the guy who's supposed to be your number two starter who, you know, if the playoffs started today, I wouldn't want him anywhere near uh, an important game right now. So it's not I there's not really much more I can say right now about this yeah. team that it's just it's just the vibes suck. The the offense is terrible. The pitching, you know, the injuries are stacking up to almost insurmountable means. But, um, you know. It, it is what it is. That's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's that's, true, that's, man. That's, it's really hard, and it must be how some of the players feel right now. Like, you think they care that Aaron Boone slammed the podium? You yeah. think they care? Like, you think that, that tuned anybody up? Anybody came in with some extra energy the next day? Like, I, I don't know. And it's so easy uh, being in New York to just compare it to Buck Showalter, but it looks like, based off of the control that Buck has, that – him and his players are having conversations constantly about mm-hmm. what's going on, what's happening, what's our plan, what are our strengths, etc. Those things don't seem to take place in, in, in the Bronx. It doesn't seem to be a part of their repertoire. Uh, and, I'm, to just, and I'm so and I'm so confident Buck Walter in pressing the right buttons when they need to be pressed than Aaron Boone. Like Aaron, if the if the script doesn't go according to the plan, he says my starter doesn't go six innings. He doesn't, I don't have a clean guy to start in the seventh and a clean guy to start in the eighth and a clean guy to start in the ninth. Then I don't know what the fuck to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. Uh, but you know, show Walter, I, if he needs a pinch hitting opportunity, 
Um, he needs to put, he always puts Tyler Naquin seems to always having big hits for, for the Mets. He always seems to put them in big spots to win. Um, just a complete, it's complete uh, yin and yang on the yeah. opposite sides. Um, you know, you have one manager who uh, I'm so, uh, he should be manager of the year. Absolutely. Buck, uh, Buck Showalter in the NL to some guy, um, you know, who, who Brian Cashman famously said, if, the Yankees would have let him walk. He would have been the top managerial candidate in baseball, and that was just the most laughable thing uh, ever. That is so, hilarious, bro. I mean, yeah. that's the question you have to ask, right? If if I say the same thing with Daniel Jones, and I, second time I'm making that comparison, I didn't know it was mm-hmm. such a comparison. If this guy's on open market, where's he going? Is Aaron Boone, is Aaron Boone back on ESPN booth next year if he's not a manager at the Yankees? Like, that, yeah. He ain't managing another team right now. There's no other no. team that has a tie to him to, to do such a thing. If Daniel Jones isn't the quarterback of the Giants, is he a quarterback of another team right now? Absolutely not. Right? And no, like, he's, a, he's a he's a backup some anywhere else. Right. So so let's do let's start to do our blame blame game here and put mm-hmm. some percentages in the in the pie because um, you know we have to talk some Mets still as well. But we have Boone Cashman in front office, and we have the hitters and we have the pitchers. If you want to keep defense on the pitcher side, that's fine. Whatever. So we have four four parts here. We can start splitting it up. But last thing I want to do before that is, did you hear the Joe Madden quote by chance? No. I'm going to paraphrase. I don't have it up in front of me. But basically, Joe Madden was doing a little presser um, down in Florida somewhere, or not a presser, talking to somebody. And, and he said that, I wish all these front office guys who are all about the numbers and the data and the analytics would come sit in the dugout. And his point was, I want them to come sit in the dugout to feel the pressure, to feel the actual angst that co- that happens during a baseball game. Because you could have the best data and the best numbers in the world. You can have all the decisions made in your book, right? But if you're in that dugout, if you see, uh, you know, you talked about Nyquin, right? Uh, Tell Nyquin, if, if you see him all day moping around, does that matter? Or is he still the right guy? I don't know, right? Like that's something that that is very debatable. But I love that thought from Joe Madden because it, it, people who sit in the dugout, who feel the interactions, the energy of every single player and coach on the team, have a different feel for stuff, right? And it never feels like Boone actually combines the two things: the data and the personalities. And that's that's the problem here. So, to, just one more thing to think about here mm. when we do our blame pie. So you, you start off. Who are you giving the most blame to and approximately what percent? Out of Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, the offense and the pitching. Yeah. I I will I first of all I'm gonna put the caveat in here that I think the players are the one that are actually playing the game. So I, I will I will put majority of my blame on the players. Um so on the offensive side. I'll I'll put about seventy percent of the blame on on the offense right here because again it's inexcusable um, for for some of these guys to just completely disappear and then the way that they have um, again Aaron Judge can only do so much you know John Carlos Stanton uh, you know he was he was out and he's injured and you've been dealing with injuries for you know uh, five years uh, Rizzo Rizzo and Lemayhew so. Those are like your big four bats and only really one of them has been at or above expectations. So I'll put a majority of the blame on the offense, the, the pitching, the pitching side, they were doing great up until the injuries and even some of the guys that are still going out there. Um, 
still doing pretty well. So I'll put I'll put ten percent on the on the pitching. So we're at eighty percent here, and I will put nineteen other percent on Aaron Boone for being the inept manager that he is, and one percent on Brian Cashman. Okay. Because um, again, I think again some of those off season moves. Um, have been, you know, very debatable again, Josh Donaldson, the IKF trade and, you know, their, their, the reluctancy to a not deal some prospects. Um, and then at the same time, not call them up. So you have Peraza that's sitting in triple A's launching ball. Anthony Volpe hit a bomb out of the ballpark the other night. And but the Yankees, you know, unlike the Mets, who called up Beatty basically straight from double A to into, uh, you know, I think he had like five, three or three or four games at triple A before he got called up. So basically straight from double A to the majors um, and the Yankees just aren't willing to do that and roll and roll out with IKF at shortstop when you have clearly two good two top 30 shortstop prospects and not wanting to call them up for reasons so yeah. um, I think that's frustrating on that part but um, it's not like those guys those two guys are going to come up and save the season especially when they've called up Cabrera and I feel like Cabrera has been uh, kind of a kind of a little spark plug here playing all that's over the place playing shortstop playing right field you know playing a great right field and you know he didn't really play that much uh, out there in AAA so um, it's kind of a surprise there so um, so that's why so little on Brian Cashman and everybody else got uh, majority of the blame there. I think my biggest question mark would be the Cashman side of things there, just because half the battle of Boone is what he's dealt, right? Like playing the hand that he's dealt. But a point that I want to make before I give my numbers out is you kind of can't have it both ways as a fan and you mm-hmm. kind of can't have it both ways as a front office and coach. So fans can't sit here and say, Boone and Cashman are absolute dog, dog bleep. And I don't know why I said bleep. I curse on this all the time. Absolute dog shit, like all the time, because clearly they were awesome for the first three quarters of the season, give or take, right? They had an amazing run. So were they terrible? Were Boone and Cashman terrible for the entire season? Obviously not. So that becomes a little tricky because fans can't have it both ways. On the same, on the other hand, I should say, Cashman can't have it both ways either. Cause he seems to to operate with a reluctancy to lose a trade, a reluctancy mm. to fail. And that's something you can't have as a front office member or as a coach, you can't be afraid of failure. We talked about this many times over the past couple of years, uh, equating Brian Cashman to Danny Ainge. There's this huge narrative around Cashman and Ainge and their in their separate sports here that they don't lose deals. They don't lose trades. They don't lose signings. They only make, the, the right decision, the best decision possible in, in uh, or else they'll just wait and they'll do nothing. Right. So on that front, you can't operate like that. When your back's against the wall, you can't operate like that when you have a championship window open. So Cashman holding on to all these prospects, not making the big trade, not making a splash in the off season. I think he definitely deserves more, more blame than, than what you gave him because yeah, the, the team was doing well, but they were never set up to withstand injury. They had the best pitching uh, injury luck you can ever imagine. For the first three quarters of the season, they basically had no starters out of order ever pitch. We said it here. What are the odds that that happens for the entire season? Almost zero, and here we are. Now with pitchers 
uh, Montgomery gets dealt Nestor on the IL possibly just for some maintenance, but who knows what? And now the entire bullpen's hurt. It is what it is. However, like you said, the spark is so important for this team right now. And Cabrera provided that uh, Beatty for the Mets here. He didn't really play well. He had a couple of nice hits, a couple of big hits, the home run in his first ever at bat, but he kind of hit like shit. Like, but, but he came in with an energy. The team had energy around him. And now Escobar comes back and knows there's a dude knocking at his, at the door for his spot, right? Like he comes back with a new energy because he knows there's somebody there looking for his spot. So, both sides can't have it both ways, and the front office and Aaron Boone can't manage and can't front office with a, a, a fear of failure. They have to go and take a big swing, just like they want all their players to swing for the fences because that's what the books tell them. That's what they should do as well. So I'm going here, and I'm going to say off the jump, I'm giving uh, 25 and 25% to Boone and Cashman. They're half the blame, 100%, and then I'm going 40% on the hitters. And so the hitters still get the most. The offense gets the most. Cause like you said, Andrew, the hitters and the players have to play. And any professional athlete should say, I don't need motivation. I'm here to do my job. I'm here to compete for my team and for my contract and for my family and whatever the hell it may be. You hear it in other sports all the time. Like do rah, rah speeches really win games in the NFL or do great scheme and great players win games in the NFL? How many times, do you never hear about the amazing halftime speech you get in a football game? Cause the team went out and got pummeled anyway. Right. Mm. So I'm not going to give the most blame to Boone and Cashman combined. They have the most because combined, they could have done a lot more. However, the biggest one is the hitters at 40, the pitchers at 10%. They get the big time benefit of the doubt that they've been holding this thing together all season long. And now the injury bug is so strong that you can't even hate too hard on the pitching staff. So that's my breakdown. 25-25, Boone Cashman, 40 for the hitters, 10 for the pitchers. I think that's pretty fair. Um, and I think especially because that Castillo trade might go down as the Cliff Lee trade part two. If you if you don't remember, if, if for those of you out there that don't remember, the Yankees had won the championship in 2019. And then in 2010, after, you know, A.J. Burnett wasn't pitching so well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2009. And then 2010, um, you know, AJ Burnett wasn't uh, pitching so well. They had CC and they had Andy, but the, the Yankees really needed another, you know, front of the rotation guy. And that's ultimately what prevented them from going back to back. And so they're at the deadline and they had this trade worked out for Cliff Lee. Um, but then, um, you know, it was Jesus Montero and then another prospect, uh, but who, he got injured. So the Mariners wanted Eduardo Nunez. Instead, and Brian Cashman said, I have to hold on to Eduardo oh, Nunez. Eduardo he Nunez. To, he's the shortstop of the future, my friends. He is the guy that's going to replace Derek Jeter and as shortstop for us for the next 15 years. And, oh, my God, he won a World Series ring, but with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, but that's he, neither here nor there. So um, holding on to Volpe, um, you know, it just puts so much more pressure on him now to come whenever he does come up to perform and you know be the guy that you know said this is the guy who we were holding on to that you know yeah. we couldn't get ah. Luis Castillo who's pitching like an absolute ace and you know pitching's not the problem for the Yankees so it's not like you know on the other hand you know that's not the issue it's not like 
you know, they didn't, they didn't trade a big time hitter for him, you know, you know, so that, so that's, that's the other side of the coin where, you know, Volpe wouldn't, Volpe's not helping now and he wouldn't have exactly helped the offense in a trade either. So, but, yeah. uh, but I, when the, when they're doing so well and the championship window is that wide open, I feel like you, you might have to do that overpay and I yeah. get that Volpe, that Volpe is a special player, but at the same time, if you need that piece and you, and you, and you think Castillo can be the piece and, you know, there's such a big drop off from, you know, Luis Castillo to Montas that, you know, that prospect capital might, you know, that might just propel the Mariners to, you know, the first time being in the playoffs for, you know, 20, 20 plus years. So, yeah. I mean, just look we'll, at who the we'll Mets see are how it shakes out. Yep. Look at who the Mets are playing right now. They're playing the Dodgers in a four-game set. Look, the Dodgers are the Yankees. The Dodgers are the real New York Yankees. If the real mm-hmm. New York Yankees please stood up, it would be the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're the ones who have been operating like a big budget team, saying our windows open, we will crush our books and we will win as many championships or make as many World Series as possible because we know that's what it takes. And guess what? They've won one. They've been to many. Uh, have they won two now, or they just won one? They won just one, won one in 2020. I'm so glad you yeah. said that, Pete. So glad yeah. you said that. Uh, I don't know what you're getting. I'll keep talking while you go. So they uh, – <laughs> you switched hats. <laughs> you switched hats. Andrew's officially not allowed at the parade, but it doesn't matter because the Yankees <laughs> will never have a parade this year. Anyway, um, like it, you have to attack that window when it's open because in all sports, in all walks of athletics – that window's never as open as you think it is. Mm-hmm. It never is. I can give you a, an example from every sport right now. You think about, for good or for bad, you think about the Phoenix Suns uh, last year and this year even as well. Everyone said, oh, the Suns are the best team in the league. They're the favorite for the championship. Well, guess what? Their best player is 37 years old, and your window's not as big as you think it is because when he's gone, this team's average again. It's a mm-hmm. good team, perhaps, in the, in the Western Conference, but the Suns are not the number one seed without Chris Paul. You have to go now. If you think about in football, the Los Angeles Rams are like the Dodgers. I don't even understand how the Rams fit inside the mm-hmm. salary cap. They have a, a $15 million player out there to help them win a championship. Yeah, let's get them. We don't need draft picks. We don't need young guys. We need to win right now. That's what it is. That's what the best teams do all the time, and that's why I'm I'm thrilled Uh, and what Steve Cohen seems to bring to the table for the New York Mets Mm -hmm. and why Yankee fans are fucking miserable right now. Mm -hmm. And and that's just the breakdown of it because you blink and next year, like you said, Volpe or Peraza or Cabrera are not hitting, you know, 280 with power or with the great OPS or whatever it may be. And you're going to say, we, we gave up a chance at an elite season with a chance to win a title for these prospects. We had no idea about, you know, like, and, and it's yeah, going to sting if it doesn't work out. It's going to sting real bad because that window will be closed before you mm-hmm. know it. And they already did it once with a batch of prospects. They did it with, they did it with um, Andujar. They did it with Frazier. They did it with Sanchez. They did it with Torres. The, all those guys they who were always there, there were rumors of they were interested in this elite player, but no, they want to hold on to their prospects. They, they believe in the kids and then the kids all, they all suck and turn out. And, yeah. and the, like like you said, with the Dodgers and their window being open, when they won in 2020, guess what they did? They didn't sit on their laurels. They went out and, you know, again, the move is a little, is a little ominous, but they went out and got the reigning Cy Young Award winner in 
Trevor Bauer at the time, and they spent $45 million, which, you know, now he's not playing anymore. But that, that but that's still, that's the kind of move you want to, you want to make. They, they Freddie went Freeman. deep last year. They went out and get Freddie Freeman. They went out and traded for Mookie Betts. Like they go out and they make these moves because they say, we know the window is open and these are the guys that we're going to have to, you know, these are, you know, the, no, Justin Turner's not getting any younger. Uh, Clean Kershaw is not getting any younger. So while we have a bunch of these guys, you know, they're able to bring up a, you know, a Will Smith and they're able to trade for Trey Turner. They're able to, you know, develop a Max Muncie and, um, you know, Chris Taylor and all those guys like that. The Dodgers are so stacked and it's, it's, it's incredible that they're able to do kind of the things that they're able to do, but you have to give it to them. They'll spend money when they want to, when they need to spend money, they'll go out and get the premier free agent and they won't right. let excuses you know, kind of got to set them off, you know, and, and have they made, have they made trades where they've maybe regretted guys where they trade your Don Alvarez and O'Neill Cruz um, yeah, to get guys, but they were trying to win a championship and they have, and they still have other guys in there to, you know, to supplement and, and to, yeah. you know, to try to win. So, and, and frankly, you know, the, um, the Dodgers haven't been the top to bottom juggernaut that they were in the past with offense. You know, they're still mm. the best team in the league right now, obviously. But look at who's been carrying them this year. It's Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. Three guys acquired, none of which were Dodger guys brought up through the minors and et cetera. They went out and got studs. They got talent and they went for it. And they're going for it currently. And even about the Astros, right? Like the Astros said, All right, Carlos Correa, you know, we got a lot out of you. Like Go on, go get your money. We have prospects, but they had prospects they trusted in who are in the, the major leagues right now playing very well. And they're a really good team. You know, it's it just, it's mind blowing, but we can't talk about this much longer. We gotta, we gotta switch over to the Mets. Any, any last yeah. words here on the Yankees, Andrew? No, man, it's, uh, I'm, I'm too depressed to, to go on. Well, now you have a Dodgers hat in the Mets segment and I'm a little upset about it, but that's okay. The New York Mets, they're currently down four, three in the bottom nine, bottom of the ninth yep. inning here against the Dodgers in their first game of a long series. Uh, but we're not obviously going to talk about this in particular. They're playing the best team in the league. You know, really what you want to see out of the Mets here is a true competitiveness where they aren't getting blown out. If they go one and three in this four game set, but it's four, three, three, two, they win five, three, whatever that, that does say something. And obviously the Braves are playing the Rockies right now, but my big question on the Mets here is the tier that they sit in. So Andrew, are the first my first question, the Dodgers, are they in a tier of their own? Is that would would you say that any other team in the National League or in the league for that matter is in the same tier as the Dodgers? Or do they sit atop the tiers? I, I definitely think that's that's an accurate statement that the Dodgers okay. are kind of you know they're alone. Uh, just for the, the pitching you know, unfortunately, you know, they lost Walker Bueller for the year, but, you know, they still they got Dustin May back. So they switched high end starters out. Um, they still have a great offense, as we talked about, great bullpen. Um, so I, I think they're definitely the, the the cream of the crop. OK, so uh, they're in the, they're in a tier of their own, a league of their own, if you will. Shout out the great movie. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, though, then is the next tier the Mets and Braves and maybe Cardinals? Is that the next tier? And if so, how do you stack up the Mets against those teams? Are you talking just, just the National League? The, yeah, are we talking baseball, baseball, over, baseball overall? 
let's go National League for now. Because, I mean, bringing up the Astros. Yeah, in to the Mets yeah it's, no. the, it's the it's Dodgers 1, and then I'd say the Mets are 1-8. I don't – again, I think there's not a team – I'll say all that about the Dodgers, but there's a team that – there's not a team that I rather would not face in a short playoff series than the New York Mets because of DeGrom, because of Scherzer because of Bassett and the other starters that they do have that they'll be able to, you know, you only need three or four starters in the postseason. They have plenty of other starters that be able to throw into a bullpen and kind of make up for some of those middle innings there. So there's not a team I would, I wouldn't want to face more in uh, in a, in a short series of the New York Mets. So I would definitely say, and as far as the national league, that the second best team in that league are the Mets. Okay. So I, I, I do agree with you as well. The question or the reason why I asked the question is because the Braves are so on their ass and this division is definitely not set in stone. We don't know that the Mets are going to definitely win this division. Their chances to make the playoffs might be 99.9 still, which is a great thing, but there is a real possibility they do not win the division and still can go into the playoffs with some momentum and some expectation here. So that's why I kind of wanted to break out that question there because a lot of people who aren't Mets fans will try to push buttons of Mets fans and say, yo, the Braves are right there. The Braves are right there. Yeah, they are. We know that the Braves are freaking good and they probably have a better, they have a better offense than the Mets, but they don't have the, the top end pitching that we have. And in all in all, it's probably pretty equal in the season series. We won eight, seven. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, but this team is, is built for the playoffs with the pitching. I do have some question marks on the hitting right now, uh, but all in all, what scares you the most? Like, is it, is it a, sp- a particular position, a position group, a lineup uh, malfunction perhaps that you don't love? What scares you the most with the Mets? Because the way they're built, it feels pretty balanced, but in reality, they have been kind of relying on streaks from like three guys at a time. So when you look at this Mets offense or this Mets team in general, what does scare you? What would give you pause going into a series in the playoffs? Yeah, I would definitely say the offense more than anything else. Like, like I said, the the starting rotation is what their strength is going to be on. And again, uh, once you have, you know, Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, uh, those three guys, you could put Walker or Peterson or Carrasco, all those guys into the bullpen. So that only strength is there. It's the offense. Um, that bottom of the order where it's going to be Escobar and McCann's going to get a lot of at-bats. And, you know, either you're going to have Canna or Naquin or someone down there there for, you know, platoon reasons. So if if the if those platoon guys aren't kind of doing their job um, and kind of get caught up with, you know, the elite pitching that you're going to face in the playoffs, um, you know, that would concern me very greatly um, come playoff time. Yeah, the, the hitting is obviously it, right? Mark yeah. Hanna has actually been off the charts for the past yes. couple of weeks. He's been insane. He's on fire. Yeah, the home seven. runs. The home run tonight was was bonkers. Was it was yeah, a the blast. home run tonight? He has seven doubles in the last two weeks. You know, the real question mark right now for the Mets is Pete Alonso is struggling. He mm-hmm. is not. He hit a home run a couple of days ago. You know, he's still running into one every once in a while, but he's not a consistent hitter right now. Lindor, I mean, if kind I had a dollar, a little bit. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every time Lindor went one for twenty. For a stretch, mm-hmm. or if I heard the broadcaster say, "Oh, there's Lindor's first hit in the last four games," I'm like, "Oh, damn!" But then he'll go on like a stretch of like, you know, 
three games where he'll have three home runs and a bunch of hits or something like that. So it's, it is kind of balancing itself out, but the offense is not perfect. However, there is a confidence with the lineup construction every single day. And it's something that Yankee fans can attest to not having, right? Mm-hmm. When you know Nimmo is a good leadoff guy. Marte is very, very good all year. Lindor, we just talked about the up and down, but he is still one of the better hitters on the team. Alonzo being the big linchpin power guy for this team. Canna, McNeil. McNeil's been on fire as well for a couple weeks now. But the lineup makes sense every day. And that's something that a lot of teams strive for. And some of the best teams in the league, like the Yankees, don't always uh, reach. Right. So that is the only saving grace to me for this lineup that there's true continuity and there's a true sense to the structure. Now, the the black hole that is James McCann, it sucks. Tom mm. Tomas has been a better hitter than him. Didn't know that was possible. Uh, but yeah, yeah there, there's reason to believe that the continuity and the and the, the the structure of this offense can get them far enough. Um, but yeah, I would be lying if there was no pause at all with that offense. Yeah, James McCann has just been an absolute black hole. In the, and it's unfortunate that Francisco Alvarez is struggling as much as he is in AAA. Like, obviously, you know, he's – even though he still has he still has a 340 on base percentage in AAA, but he's still hitting only a buck 80 um, in 32 games, six home runs in 32 games. But, uh, you know, if he was doing – you know, if he was hitting like he was hitting in AA right now, I could totally see – um Mets fans just you know being even more frustrated with McCann than they when they they are currently because uh, you know it's just it's just not good at bats um you know and he always seems to find himself up there where you know with men on base so that's uh that's even more frustrating uh to watch him just know he's kind of again more like more like Aaron Hicks in a sense so you just yeah. know he's just not gonna put up a good gotcha. at bat and, and yeah just just be done donezo but, yeah. um, you know, another guy for the Mets there, you know, there's talks about is Mark Vientos, who's a, a, a bat straight up. He's just a bat who mm-hmm. can come up and possibly help out if they do so in September to see what they have. I would be happy to do so. And I think it's a type of thing that you trust Buck Showalter, right? Like you keep Beatty around with Escobar in there. You keep this or you bring this guy Vientos up and you trust Buck to push on all those buttons. You know, Darren Roof hasn't been that great. Naquin's been up and down. Vogelbach's been been very good as a DH and getting a ton mm-hmm. of at-bats. It's been nice to see. But you trust Buck to push the right buttons, to give guys a chance to bring some energy to this team. And like I mentioned before with Beatty, he didn't hit well, but there was an energy around him being in the lineup as this new blood with some pop and a beautiful swing that, that did help this team despite his numbers not helping the team. Yeah. Uh, 100% agree. Couldn't couldn't agree more. And and that's kind of what September call-ups are for. Like I get I get that um you know the Mets are still in a pretty tight, you know, division race, but if you can have you can uh Vientos if you can call him up in September and provide a little bit of spark or you know kind of see what you have, maybe he can be uh you know pinch runner type or something like that and come come playoff time or hell if he has a Hot September, maybe you know Buck able to find some at bats for him come playoff time. So yeah, you know there's no there's very little downside in it. So it's not like he's going to take someone's job. You know that that kind of it's not like he can catch uh, and yeah. take McCann's job. You know, so I, I feel like uh, Buck will put him in a good position to to win. And the Mets just lost, by the way. Yeah, they did. The Mets did lose, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But they do mm-hmm. have in the schedule coming up two series with Pittsburgh, two series with Miami. 
uh, and a couple other series that aren't aren't too challenging. So hopefully they get fat there and they do win this division. But obviously the Braves, very good team on their ass. We'll see what happens there. Um, all right, Andrew, any last words for baseball in general, or are we ready for some football talk? No, let's let's talk some let's talk some football, my friend. All right, what do you think my uh, what do you think my flag planting? Or what team, or what? What do you think? Where do you think I'm going with this? Uh, this new de- declaration I have here. I feel like uh, you brought up Daniel Jones twice so far <laughs> in this podcast, so I feel like it has to do with possibly Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. You are correct, Andrew. <laughs> you are correct. This has to do with the New York Giants and what I believe will be a very bad season. For the mm-hmm. New York Giants. Now, does that mean that this season is going to be completely useless? Perhaps not. But I've been looking around. I'm preparing for my over-unders for the season and all my bets that I'm going to put in, prop bets, etc. for the NFL because the season starts in just a- over a week now. And I can't wait. But here we are talking about the New York Giants. And their over-under Drew, do you know what the, what it's set at right now? Do you know what the Giants over under set at? Oh God! Uh, tell me, please enlighten me. It's at seven, and it's at seven even. It's not at seven and a half. Most, I'd say, ninety five percent of over unders. I'm, I'm scrolling through DraftKings right now are mm-hmm. all at a, a half number. That's not true. Maybe seventy five percent are at a half number. There's some sevens and sixes and tens in there. Whatever. The Giants are at seven regular season wins for their over under. And it's now time for me to take that flag and jam it in the ground and bet the under on the New York giants. Cause I cannot fathom a possibility, Andrew, for the giants to win eight games. You're telling me that this team with basically no wide receivers right now, outside of a rookie who's unproven and uh, a, a second year player who's played four games in his career, Nobody's healthy. Kenny Galladay is a shell of himself. Sterling Shepard's coming back from injury. Colin Johnson, who is sneaking up for a spot, Achilles out for the season. It's Wandell Robinson, Kadarius Tony. That's it right now. Maybe the guy David Sills, who's actually looked really good in, in the preseason. That team is going to be able to score points. The offensive line is maybe better, but it's still not good. It's still probably not average. And Daniel Jones is the quarterback who's thrown less touchdowns in his second and third year combined uh, the less touchdowns in those years combined versus his first year as a quarterback in the NFL. Eight wins is an impossibility for the New York giants mm-hmm. at absolute minimum. You are pushing and getting your money back because they're going to go seven and 10. They are not winning eight that's, games. That's a, that's a best case scenario. Seven, and 10. That is the best mm-hmm. case scenario for the New York giants. The defense is is okay. They have some new blood in there. They have Thibodeau. They have some players on defense. They got um, uh, Adoree Jackson, new cornerback. Yeah, sure, it's all nice. There's some optimism. There's some reason to believe this team's going to be frisky. No, there's not. This offense, once again, will struggle to put points on the board. And if they do consistently put points on the board, Brian Dayball deserves a parade for getting eight wins. That's how I feel about the New York Giants right now. Because this offense, the more you hear about it with the personnel and the injuries and the dismemberment of Daniel Jones as a quarterback that we might see over the next season, 
I can't even fathom eight wins for this team. The fact that it's still at seven at even odds, nonetheless, it's at minus 110 for the over and the under. That That's the only reason for me to believe that there's a chance, that Vegas thinks there's a chance for them to get eight wins. That's the only explanation I can mm-hmm. possibly fathom to make this team close to 500, Andrew. They're going to win four games. They're hopefully going to get a great pick at a quarterback next year, and that'll be the best win possible for the New York Giants and Brian Dable because this team will likely be a disaster. Well, I I, I, I totally get you planting your flag here because I do remember last year at this time saying that it was a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, and I, I do know the Giants were not healthy last year, but that excuse can only go so far, and it looks like they're not going to be healthy again this year. So it's like how many times, it, similar to Aaron Boone, how many times are you going to continue to run him out there and and kind of spin your wheels as an organization, especially an organization that hasn't had excess success in nearly a decade. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so with you on the Giants and not being optimistic in the slightest. It's kind of tuned me out from football, just, uh, you know, you know, fan, you know, football for me right now uh, outside of New York sports is, uh, you know, it's an excuse for me to drink beer and eat wings on a Sunday and check my fantasy team because there's nothing to root for in New York sports. You know, the, the only thing I can actually root for is Zach Wilson's mom body count. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's really it. That's the only thing I can root for as a New York uh, sports fan, uh, football Man. sports fan. And And there's so much more to look forward to right now with the Jets and, They may not be a better team. I talked about this last time. They may not get more wins than the Giants. They can both get six, but those six for the Jets will feel a lot better than those six for the Giants because there is just not a lot of positivity to look at when you look at this offense and expect them to score points. Saquon Barkley is healthy, apparently, which is a great thing. I hope he goes off. I hope every fantasy owner of Saquon is happy with the pick because I love Saquon. I never wanted the Giants to pick him, but he's a great dude, great player, yada, yada, yada. Are you are you taking are you taking Saquon as like a top five pick? Let's say you're in a ten team league. Are you taking Saquon in the top five? No, not a top five pick. I think he's an end of first round, early second round running back. Um, mm-hmm. To go through it off the top of my head, obviously you have Jonathan Taylor and uh, Christian McCaffrey, probably the first two running backs off the board. Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, the first two receivers off the board, and then you get more into that like Eckler, Najee Harris range. Uh, Dalvin Cook range, Derrick Henry range, all those guys will go ahead of Saquon. Mm-hmm. That might not be how the season ends up, right? If Saquon gets a crap ton of targets because there's no receivers on the team and he racks up PPR points, like you might be really happy with Saquon. Again, I don't think it'll matter much on the field, but no, I don't think he's a top five pick. I think if you pick him eight to 14 range mm-hmm. is probably where you'll be most happy with that pick. Yeah, I, now, I, I, I would tend to agree. And I and also I also want to just plan to talk a little fantasy. But I am not one of those people that I have the, actually the number two pick in my fantasy draft, and I am not picking Christian McCaffrey. I do not, you know, the first two weeks he's going to put up forty points, and then the third week he's going to tear his ACL. That's just that's just the reality of Christian McCaffrey, and I'm not willing to you know right. put all my uh, eggs in that basket. You, and you have to be willing in fantasy. You have to be willing to accept that you didn't want to be part of that business, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you ever play uh settlers of Catan mm-hmm. the board game. So like in yes. that game, you acquire resources. So you're yes. playing that game and you're like, Oh, I'm in the brick business. I'm in the sheep business. I'm in the wood, whatever. Like mm-hmm. if you don't want to be in the Christian McCaffrey business, that's okay. You have to understand you might get burned. 
However, if you pick Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup or you know even a, a Dalvin Cook or whatever it may be, you might still be fine, right? So I'll, I'm yeah. totally fine with that. I don't have a top, I don't have a top three pick in any drafts that I have. Uh, mm-hmm. Only pick I have a top four pick even is um, a two quarterback league. So it's quarterbacks off the jump. So I'm not even thinking about that for my personal fantasy life. But if I was going to give advice, you have to gut check that one. It's the same thing with Saquon. I would never get mad at somebody for taking Saquon five or six, even though he's projected to go 13th, because if you have faith in him, you're projecting him above his value and above his value is a mid first round pick. So I'm fine taking that swing. Uh, But the same thing with McCaffrey, same thing with Derrick Henry. A lot of people are really turned off by Derrick Henry because they don't want to get him on the year he falls off a cliff. You have to then be aware that you might get burned and you Mm -hmm. might take Austin Eckler who sits for four games or gets injured or doesn't get 20 touchdowns like he did last year. And he'll be average to good. Right. And Henry might get 400 touches again. You have to be aware that's still possible, but uh, I I totally respect not wanting to be in the C-Mac business or the Derrick Henry business for that matter. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's tough. And then like, I don't know for fantasy. Like, I feel like uh, this could sound completely insane, but I I'm very much a vibes person when it comes to fantasy football. Like if I don't feel like Christian McCaffrey might be the move to make, but if I don't feel good about it, if like the vibes, if I just like not confident in it, like I'm like, I hate making a pick and saying like, this is the, this is what the computer tells me to draft the best available player. And then I feel like shit about it afterwards. Like I, I need to feel good about the pick. The vibes need to be right for fantasy, for the, the make believe football that I'm yeah. going to play this year, my friend. Yeah. And, and you know what? Your team should be called good vibes only or something like that. Because I, mm-hmm. I feel that now a sharp fantasy football player would probably tell you to think the exact opposite of that. Right. Cause you're, probably best off taking players that don't make you feel good. Like how, how often does the guy who say, yo, I got the sickest draft actually win the league. Cause the league is won after week one. It's on the waiver wires. It's on a trade perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So often those first round picks could get you there, but you win based off so much of the other stuff that you do. So I would argue with your logic a little bit, but again, with that first round in particular, you want to stick your flag in something you're feeling good about. You don't want to stick your pole into things you don't like very much. You know, you can get into some funky business like that. No, absolutely. Yeah, you, that just goes right. You don't stick your pole in places where it shouldn't be. You know, <laughs> there you go. Exactly. That's, it. that's it. That's why I'm sticking my pole in the back end of the Giants, right in their rear, and shoving them out of town because it's terrible. The Giants are not good, man. Like uh, I want Tony to be good and for me to be wrong so bad. But I said from day one, I didn't like the pick. And unfortunately, right now, there's reason to believe I'm right. But there's great opportunity for him to prove us all wrong with the immense amount of talent that he has. It just it does, doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't seem like he it doesn't seem like he wants to be there either. And that's like that's the weird thing with Tony is just like he just seems just so disinterested in being I don't know what it's about, like the Giants organization right now that's like turning you know, superstar players into, you know, some just, I, I don't know. I don't know. But Galladay went from being like this great, this great story in Detroit to comes over. And I saw him run a route the other day. He looked like he was a 60 year old man running a, a five yard out. Like it was uh, horrendous. So I don't know what they're doing with their player development over there at the giants, but it's, it's not great. It's not great. So I agree. 
I agree. My flag's in the ground under for the New York Giants. I just want somebody to explain to me how they're going to win eight games. And then from there on, I'll tell them that they're crazy. And I'll, at minimum, push on that over under seven. Minimum you, push on it. If you wanted someone to tell you that they were going to win eight games, you should have Alec on the podcast because uh, <laughs> he would he would have he would have told you. He would have given you reasons. Uh, he would have uh, drank that. He would have chugged that Kool Aid, that Giants Kool Aid, on the podcast and tried to tell you, my friend, right in front of our own faces. All mm-hmm. right, let me ask you a couple more questions here from a fantasy perspective. I want to ask you about um, about a quarterback situation here because I. Oh, it's, a, it's actually a combo. It's a combo situation here. So Patrick Mahomes is still projected as a top three or four fantasy quarterback, right? However, if you look at all his receivers and all his people around him, outside of Travis Kelsey, nobody is getting any hype, any love. Maybe Juju. You got probably one or two guys in every league are pro Juju right now, which is fine. But Andrew, if, if I could do math here, if Mahomes is going to be a top three, four quarterback, in fantasy football, you would imagine that more than just Travis Kelsey uh, would do well as a receiver here, right? So if I told you that Mahomes is a top four fantasy quarterback, is there a, a particular Kansas City receiver that you want to stake some of your claim into? Is it McCole Hardman? Is it the the new rookie Sky Moore? Or may it be? Juju Smith-Schuster, because if you think Mahomes is going to be good still, you have to think other people on this team are going to be good. Do you want any part of that business? Do you feel good vibes with the Kansas City Chiefs? Maybe that's the question. How do your vibes check with the Kansas City Chiefs, Mahomes, and the talent around him? I mean, if it's if it's going to be someone, it's going to be Juju Smith. I mean, he's the the only guy with any kind of pedigree, and obviously he was a you know number one-ish wide receiver in – Pittsburgh. So you have to think that he's the guy here. And I'm just looking at fantasy rankings right now. If, if if you want to take any guesses on, so Juju Smith is ranked the 24th uh, receiver right now in a PPR league, uh, according to Yahoo sports, you want to take any uh, guesses of the three guys that are behind him or, and the two guys that are in front of him. So he's 24th. 24th. Okay. So that means just outside of wide receiver two range. Is it like, mm. uh, is it like Hollywood Brown? Marquise Mm-mm. Brown? Mm-mm. You uh, got... D- is DK Metcalf? Is DK, 20... is that where DK is? DK is 25. Okay. So that's the DK Metcalf range, which is the opposite of the Mahomes theory, right? Yes. Where Mahomes is going to be good, right? He's got to throw to somebody. Mm-hmm. Metcalf is good. Somebody's got to throw him the ball. Yeah, that, that's that I don't get. Like, is Geno Smith going to be? He's good. They're that confident in Geno Smith to, to throw the ball to Metcalf. Like, I'm avoiding uh, Seattle wide receivers. Like, they're the plague. Yeah, is it? Is it like Brandon Cooks? Who else is? Cooks who else is, is around? Cook, there? Cooks is 22. Uh, Gabrielle Davis at 23. Uh, Jerry Judy, Denver, 27. Um, which mm. is funny because uh, obviously uh, Wilson's in Denver now. And then Elijah Moore of the Jets. I love Elijah Moore. I, uh, <laughs> I hope he has somebody to throw him the ball this year. So my question about that is like when you're going through your vibes and you're on the, you're on the clock and that clock ticks fast sometimes and you're looking at Jerry Judy and you're looking at Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't know how you feel better about Juju other than the fact that he has Patrick Mahomes, right? So it's a very weird thing here. 
with, with the chiefs this year that I don't know if I want to be in the business now, yeah. I never have had Mahomes as a fantasy quarterback. Cause I don't typically reach on quarterbacks. I wait and get Kirk cousins or some shit later down the road and stream. If I have to, that's just kind of my philosophy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm feeling the chief business this year. Um, even though I do also feel they're going to be a good team. Uh, it makes no sense, but that's the vibes. That's the vibes I have. Yeah, I, I lucked out and got Kyler Murray uh, late last year, um, and he was great. And then I was able to trade him before the <laughs> Call of Duty before the Call of Duty game uh, came <laughs> out, uh, and traded him mid year. It was able to get uh, upside uh, wide receiver and running back. So that was a great trade on my end. So any any guy that uh, that has to get um, a Call of Duty video game uh, clause in his contract. That was taken out, but originally in there uh, is is cause for concern on my on my end. But uh, to, to answer your question, uh, yeah, I don't think being in the Kansas City wide receiver business is something that I would be in. Obviously, Kelsey is going to be the one that's going to benefit the most from all those targets um, and kind of be the number one option. He's going to be, I think, Kelsey's like a top top ten pick, perhaps because the amount of targets that he's going to get from Mahomes. Um, so, so there's that, but yeah, as far as wide receivers go, I think you could do worse than getting Juju Smith as like your number two receiver, but I definitely think there's, there might be better options for you, uh, down, down the, down the, down the draft. Yeah. Um, have you done any drafts yet or no? No, I'm the next, next week is going to be my first and only I I've done this, uh, you know, now that I have a second child on the way, there's no way. I'm going to be able to, you know, last two years ago, I was in six leagues last year. Okay. I was in three leagues. Now I'm down to my one and only, uh, you know, league with a couple of my buddies that are fun punishment league. Uh, so this year, the punishment's going to be everyone. You have to do an NFL combine and then post your numbers to uh, the, the board. So basically <laughs> someone has the video doing like, you know, your bench press and your, and your 40 dash and all that stuff. So. That's the that's the punishment this year. That's a good punishment. I like that. I like that. I like a good uh, public embarrassment. That's good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Last question on fantasy, and then we'll say goodbye. Is there any player in particular that you're looking at? It could be in the first two rounds or somewhere in the middle. Just any player that in your draft you're kind of thinking about, like, hey, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to go yet. He could probably pop up around if somebody feels like me, but I really want this one guy. Is there anybody that you're targeting or any team? that you're targeting that you want to be in their business? Um, I know that uh, Tyree kill outside, you know, there's question marks in Miami, but I feel like he's such a great receiver that, uh, that he's going to get his targets and um, you know, his, you know, that doesn't matter about the, the quarterback. So I think Tyreek, you know, I think he's going to drop a little bit. I think he's going to be, maybe like the nine, you know, eight to 10 range, eight to 11 range on receivers chosen, but oh, on receivers, receivers chosen, I think, but I feel like he can give you a top, a top five receiver performance this year. So I'm feeling, I'm definitely feeling Tyreek uh, as a, as a kind of a buy low candidate. I like that a lot. Cause last year, I mean, he's a top five receiver off the board easily this mm. year, like you said, eight or nine, uh, in total, he the one I'm looking at is a, uh, an aggregate. He's ranked 21st overall. I don't know how many receivers are ahead of him on this list here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get him at the end of the second round, maybe the third round. It kind of depends who's in your league. You know, you mm-hmm. might have a rogue Dolphins fan in your league 
who, who just wants him and, and he'll reach for him a little bit. You can get Tyree kill possibly end of second round, early third round and like get a top five receiver easily. Yeah. I think it's very possible for him to get a boatload of targets. He might not get as many explosives as he used to. So you might not catch the Tyree kill 45 point week, but the frustration with Tyree kill, even for the people who owned him with the chiefs and Mahomes. Uh, over the past couple of years is that he'll go for 45, 38, and then go six, six, 12. And it's a little frustrating here. I think there's a chance for him to be a little bit more consistent without that high end 45 every once in a while uh, with always oh, still the chance to do it. You never know. Tua throws a decent deep ball. I'm kind of on Tua yeah. Island, uh, this year. I'm, I'm, I'm pro Tua. Um, I like that. So I, I think one guy I'm going to do two here for you. Mm. One's a little bit on a lesser extent. Um, just somebody who I'm kind of very interested in here. And believe it or not, this receiver has his best quarterback situation ever. And it's DJ Moore. DJ Moore of the Carolina Panthers has had nobody's thrown to him. Old and washed Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater, like just garbage throwing him the football and still putting up a thousand yards a year. Baker Mayfield, maybe not the biggest upgrade at quarterback, but an upgrade nonetheless. And DJ Moore might be the best receiver that Baker's ever played with. Cause I think he's better than Jarvis Landry. I think he's better than the version of Odell that Baker played with. Uh, so DJ Moore in that third, fourth round range, I'm very happy to go after him. Uh, and my last one is I want to be in the Denver wide receiver business. I want to be either. I have, I have five leagues by the way. So I'm the <laughs> opposite of you right now. I want to whittle it down. I guess I need to have a kid. Uh, so I'm in five leagues. I will have Judy and Sutton at least one and one at minimum. Cause there's a chance that both of those receivers are wide receiver ones. If not both wide receiver two at minimum, because Russell Wilson has carried two wide receivers many times before, most recently Lockett and Metcalf. I think he can do very similarly here with Judy and with Sutton. So I, I will definitely have a Judy Sutton uh, presence on some of my teams, if not multiple of them. And I also, and if I got uh, there's one more guy that now that you were talking about uh, that I'm thinking of as well. I'm, I'm very much in the Tony Pollard uh, mm. business. I think this is going to be finally the year where he overtakes Zeke as the main, maybe not the main focal Leo running back, but I think he's going to get so many more pass catching opportunities where I think like, you know, towards the end of last year, even when they were both healthy, like you could start both Tony Pollard and Zeke and get like, uh, you know, a good week out of either your flex or your second running back. So um, they're very much in the Tony Pollard business. And I feel like he's going to be the more of continue to be more of the focal point of the Dallas offense and continue to be uh, a big part of the patching uh, their pass catching uh, game. So uh, I expect big things from Tony. Yeah, I like that one a lot because he he like you said he'll have standalone value. I think he mm -hmm. definitely will. And Zeke was underrated last year. He got a lot of crap for being like looking so slow and just mm -hmm. not looking like himself. But he still put up decent numbers. Uh, so yeah. I like that a lot. But my last one is uh, Dallas Goddard, tight end. Now tight end is a weird position here where you know if you don't get one of those top three guys in Kelsey Andrews Pitts, you know you're not really sure what you're going to get. Kittle's been injured. Waller's not practicing yet. Dalton Schultz is kind of hit or miss. Um, but Dallas Goddard, it's his first time ever being the true number one tight end for a team going into a season. If you remember last year, Ertz was still hanging around. 
Goddard's been better than Ertz for two years now. Goddard's a very good player. And I think after him is where the drop just falls off a cliff with tight end. So if I'm in my league here and, you know, I don't have a tight end yet, I like to pick all wide receivers and running backs for the first bunch of rounds. And uh, Goddard is still there in that eighth round range. I am pulling the trigger on Dallas Goddard. Hopefully my friends are not listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that That's the tight end I'm targeting here. And if I don't get him, I will not pick a tight end for probably four more rounds and just take the scrap heaps and stream and be miserable the entire year. Cause I, I did get a taste. I had Mark Andrews last year, Andrew, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. And he helped carry me from a one in four start to the championship. And it was awesome. So I know the value of tight end, but if I don't reach on those top three guys, which I probably won't Goddard is my big time target at tight end. I also like Hawkinson a lot. I know, understand that, you know, Detroit is always and forever be a dumpster fire, but he is the number one target there very much in the Kelsey situation where like he, their number one target is not a running back and it's not a wide receiver. It's a tight end. So I, I also went the Goddard route uh, last year, um, but I also had Hawkinson as well. And I was very happy with both of their performances. So um, good on you friend for thinking the same way as me. There we go. Hawkinson, a great player. Uh, he's due for that year where he like kind of inserts himself to that upper echelon of tight end. So I like that as well. Yes. All right, Andrew, I have five fantasy drafts in the next six days. I have no better way to start than having two drafts simultaneously on Wednesday night. Uh, so I'm in for it with fantasy over the next week. And I'm so damn excited for football. I'm so damn excited to continue to watch the Mets and watch the Yankees burn. So any last words out of you, Andrew? <laughs> God, uh, yeah, no, you had to, you had to end on that bummer, my friend. So I'll, I'll say this: let's go Dodgers. Let's go. go, Oh, don't say that. That's terrible. I don't want to hear that garbage. At least say that next week when the Mets aren't playing them. Mm, Let's, let's go, baby. Yeah, it's, it's a great. It's, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, you're, you're getting into September now, and uh, I have some friends that are very big into fall. That they say it's you know they're drinking their pumpkin spice lattes uh, and trying try, it's it, you know it's still summertime friends you know I I would stress to everyone out there that excited for fall fall will be here it'll get here just enjoy the last week of some last couple of weeks of summer and then fall enjoy fall when it's fall time everyone everyone that uh, including my wife who loves her pumpkins who was who's put pumpkin shit around the house already and I say honey it's it's not time. It's not time. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the summer while we still have summer, everybody. Yeah, on August thirtieth, okay. And fall will get here when it get here. That's yeah, all I have to say about that. I like that. Well, Duncan brings back pumpkin September first, so you can get an iced pumpkin latte in the eighty-nine degree weather of September, and that'll be great <laughs> for everybody, I'm sure. All right, Andrew, thanks so much. I appreciate you as always. Don't forget to listen on any of the podcast apps, and while you do that, subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot to us uh, over at Subway Sports Talk. Also on YouTube. Don't forget to hit the Subscribe and notifications bell so you see when we post new videos. Other than that, follow on social media at Subway Sports Talk. I'm Pete Kennedy for Andrew Kalanya. That's all we got. Cheers. See ya.